Welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and this is the September 7th edition, and I am super excited to have you guys here. I'm super excited about the show, actually, because I have so much stuff I want to cover. And you ever have a feeling where you just know it's going to be a good show, or a good whatever you do at work, or a good, you know, whatever that thing is? Like, I was looking over all the stuff we're going to talk about, and I'm like, man, this is going to be like a great show. So, anyway, super excited about that. We'll just get straight into it. Let me throw the intro in for the new listeners, and then here we go. If you are new to the show, let me say as background that I'm a proud moderate and that I covered the news for more than 10 years as a journalist after spending four years in the Marines. Every week I do three things. I cover hotspots and defense news happening around the world that could affect the United States. I attempt to unite our country. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Thanks again for joining us. I really hope you get something from the show. Honestly, guys, there's so much news this week. I wasn't even sure really what to start with, but, you know, I never really want to miss a chance to laugh at Putin. And so let's just start with that. And I want to share just a small, I guess, snippet from uh, Morning Joe, which is a show on cable news on MSNBC in the morning. But I think they got pretty good laugh in at this, and I couldn't do it any better. So let's just listen to this. And just kind of chuckle at our friend in Russia, Mr. Vladimir Putin. Plus, Vladimir Putin is turning to another dictator for more weaponry for his war in Ukraine. Can you, have... can, can you imagine, no. really, Russia's fate sinking so low that he's got to go to North Korea like to save his military? It's just unbelievable. Yeah, this is a real tell about where things are right now. If you have to go to North Korea of all places, Kim Jong-un going to make a trip, which he doesn't do very often, reportedly, to visit Vladimir Putin. I don't know, give him a pep talk along with some weapons. Now, he counts among his Yikes. allies, apparently, Kim Jong-un and North Korea. That's where Russia is right now. There you go. Hope you got a little bit of a chuckle from that. Figured that was more entertaining than reading from a news article, but... But I guess we can take two positives from that clip I just shared. First, Vladimir Putin is reaching desperation levels. Two, cable news has finally stopped running headlines and scary articles about will Vladimir Putin nuke the West, the U.S., or Ukraine. So I guess those are two good positives. But I wanted to start with that. Let's move to the next item. The next thing I wanted to make sure that we got into this episode was the news that Ukraine has officially broken through the first line of defense for Russia that was planned to stop the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And I wanted to share some analysis from another analyst. And this analyst talks about several key things. One how much Russia had put forward on their front lines to try to stop the Ukrainians as far as percentage of troops, because it sounds like Russia didn't expect that 
Ukraine would ever break through. The analyst also discusses how many attack helicopters Russia has lost, which, of course, these have been very damaging to Ukraine. They, these attack helicopters have really done a number on Ukrainian armored columns. So the analyst talks about the percentage of combat air power from these helicopters that Russia has lost. Additionally, they go a bit into just how much total combat power Russia has lost. It's really just remarkable. It's just a few minutes, but every moment of this is absolutely worth listening to. And I just didn't want to regurgitate some of the facts that are already out there when this is presented so well. Let me say one other thing. This is from The Telegraph, their podcast called Ukraine, the latest. But check this out. Okay, it's very difficult to accurately plot Russian um, defensive belts, where they start, where they stop, and how to account for all the other positions that are covering those fortifications. I mean, as I've said many times, all defences should be covered by view and fire, surveillance assets, and preferably humans, and fire. We think Ukraine is through the first obstacle belt. I was in a, a briefing earlier on today with uh, with Western officials, and the, the consensus is that Ukraine has broken through that first obstacle belt. The Western official described the fighting there as a PhD in land warfare to give an idea of, of what we're asking, what is expected of, of Ukraine's forces to go from having no real credible combined arms capability to having a go at one of the hardest land operations possible. But the Western official was saying Russia is thought to be now at 50% of the combat power it had in February last year. That's the the combat power, as in land combat power, obviously Navy, Air Force, much lower, 50% of combat power. That's not a bad return of investment, especially when you're talking to um, political leaders about how much they should support the war with money and and equipment. Not a bad return on investment for, for Ukraine doing all the fighting. We also think Russia has lost about a third of the 300 or so Ka-52 attack helicopters. Again, that's a phenomenal number to lose a third of, of that military capabilities just staggering there's also i'd point you to an article in the guardian on sunday who quotes brigadier general alexander turnevsky who's the general leading the southern counteroffensive, who says he was saying that russia is thought to have devoted 60 percent of its time and resources into building that first offensive line and only 20 percent each into the second and third because moscow was not expecting ukrainian forces to get through now, he was also saying that the forces are between the first and second lines. So that's, I think we should, I think we should take that as a working assumption. That now seems to be, as I say, the squad average compared today or included today with the um, comments from the Western officials. So as we said before, we don't know how much, how many personnel there are going to be in those other lines. They may be just as formidable as the first line of Russian defence, but if you're not, if you've not got the people there to accurately bring in fire or to say what the Ukrainians are doing, if they do something slightly different, then it's, it's a, that, that is very significant. Hopefully you found that as interesting as I did. And i got to say, it is shocking to think about the fact that the Russians put so many personnel and combat power on that front line and I got to tell you, if I was a Russian general right now, I would be, I would not be sleeping well at night. 
complicating things for the Russians are two additional things that are happening. The first thing involves a serious deterioration of quality of troops that they have on the line. Now this has come up a bit among analysts on various social media, but essentially every generation of new Russian conscripts that they are mobilizing, they are less skilled than the last, and thus they die faster, they die in larger numbers, and they have less military effect, especially as each set has less or less quality and even shorter slash briefer amounts of training before they're even deployed. So you've got that going on. I've got a link in the source notes to a thread by Trent Tolinko. Some of you guys may recognize the name. He's been covering this war for a bit pretty heavily on Twitter, and his stuff has been dead on from, from the beginning. So I'll put a link into that thread. But essentially he goes into the weeds a bit about how this is really starting to affect Russia and their ability. And so, you know, if you hypothetically have like a hundred troops covering a couple thousand meters in the past, you would have some officers there. The Russians don't have a strong non-commissioned officer corps of corporals and sergeants, but you would have had some. And so that you'd have some unit cohesion in that area covering that front. Well, as they have increasingly brought in more and more untrained conscripts, there are fewer officers, there are fewer sergeants, and so you just have just a, a, a mass of, of men. There was actually a video of some troops, three different Russians, who just basically give up in the middle of a battle, and they just lay down, facing away from the enemy, and they just totally, they laid in a, in a cluster and unfortunately, it was the middle of a battle, and it didn't end too well for them. But they didn't even have the energy or enthusiasm to even try to surrender. They just literally just kind of fell into despair. But you can just see that the Russian fighting spirit is just not very good right now. That's the first thing I wanted to mention. The second thing I wanted to mention comes from that same decently long Twitter thread also from Trent Tolinko. As I said, it's linked in the source notes. But Russia, for the first time, is showing real signs of weakness in their artillery. As a refresher, throughout this war, and even well before this war, Russian combat tactics rely heavily on large volumes of artillery fire. And that's how Russia has won previous wars. It's what they've relied on in wars after World War II. It's just Soviet doctrine. There's much more artillery in their armies, in their divisions, their regiments, than there are in comparable NATO and U.S. military force structure. But the Ukrainians have been chipping away at that Russian advantage. As time has gone on, in fact, as we have sent NATO equipment, NATO artillery, U.S. high Mars, those multiple launch rocket systems, as we have sent 
increasingly effective counter-battery fire radar, which of course can detect incoming fire, quickly compute where it was fired from, and then you do a counter-fire on that position, hope hopefully taking out the troops that launched that cannon or that artillery piece. Ukraine has just gotten better and better. And I've tried to share each week the fact that consistently the past few weeks, really more like the past two or three months, there are more and more video clips that surface online of Ukrainians taking out Russian artillery pieces. If you're newer to the show a few weeks ago, might have even been five or six weeks ago, I shared a video where Ukrainian drone of some kind had video coverage or aerial coverage of a field that the Russians brought in an artillery piece. Unbeknownst to the Russians, it was under surveillance. The piece gets taken out. The Russians bring in another piece. Presumably, the Russians needed some fire support, I assume, somewhere near the front line. Again, another piece gets knocked out. And they do this multiple times. I shared that video. But there have been just consistently more and more video footage of the Russians using losing very valuable artillery pieces. And in many cases, losing very valuable artillery crews, which may be as valuable as the weapons themselves because the Russians aren't real great at training up folks very fast. And just speaking as an infantryman, I know it takes a lot more to train someone to accurately man an artillery piece than it does to train someone like me to carry an M16. So Russia's been losing these forces, and for the first time, literally, for the first time, it might be just for a day or two, but Ukraine is now firing more missions from artillery, heavy artillery, than the Russians have, are, or have been. Again, it might be just for a day or two, but that is unheard of. As you, If you recall, a few months ago, for the entirety of the war, typically, the ratio is that Russia was firing about 10 shells for every one that, that Ukraine fired. So every time Ukraine would try to fire in support of its troops, there would be almost a volume of 10 rounds for every round outgoing would come back. And so Ukrainian artillery has been at a huge disadvantage for the entirety of the war. And that has finally started to prove to be no longer the case. And if this is an actual reality, and not just on one small front, but if increasingly across the entire front, the Ukrainians are at least on par with or equal to the Russian artillery defense capabilities, then this war is going to change very quickly. So this is huge news. Again, I have a link to that from Trent Tolinko. You can go take a look at it. If you don't trust his stuff, I've been following him for more than a year. I don't even know that he's hardly been wrong about anything. Anytime he has been, he has admitted it quickly. So I'm putting him in as a trusted source. Like I said, I've been following him for a long time. You'll see how many people follow him. You'll see the types of people who follow him. He follows the war closely. 
He monitors lots of Telegram channels, lots of analysts, always sharing lots of footage. If you're on Twitter still, he's a great follow. And as I said a week or two ago, I will always call Twitter, Twitter. It is Twitter until it dies. One final thing before we leave this topic. I also just put in the source notes recent video footage of Ukraine spotting four Russian trucks. And there's probably, these are heavy trucks, the ones with canvas on the back, what the U.S. military used to call five tons when I, were in, when I was in. But regardless of what they are called, you can see in this video four, at least four heavy trucks loaded with Russian troops. And the troops are getting out. It's probably a break. The trucks aren't spread out as much as they should be. Not a good idea if you're in a war zone ever. Dispersion is the most important thing, whether you're just a lowly infantryman or you're a column of trucks or a column of tanks. You want to be dispersed. You don't want to be the one that's a cluster of targets because that is who the enemy always fires at. Regardless, a year plus into war, Russia still hasn't learned this brutal lesson, but... In this video, you can see just proof of the increasing dominance of Ukrainian artillery. It's a pretty long barrage. The video itself is 4 minutes, 38 seconds long. That's almost like a lifetime. But there is a lot of shells that come in. They have to get the range down. Then they start hitting it with various types of shells. You can see they use cluster munitions. And the interesting thing with cluster munitions is they spread out as these bomblets kind of spew out. But you can adjust how wide that circle is. And you can tell they're literally adjusting the width of the range of these shells to cover this area and these exposed troops. Not a good day for any of these Russian soldiers, I assure you. But it's just almost mind-boggling that the Ukrainians felt confident enough to take this position under fire and continue this large volley of fire on these on these troops. And they clearly aren't too worried about counter-battery fire or firing and moving or any of that. So not sure how deep this was from the artillery unit that took it under fire, but... It's um, It definitely adds weight to the argument that Ukrainian artillery is becoming on par with, if not starting to exceed the capabilities of Russian artillery. Alright, let's shift from that. And I wanted to share another clip from another podcast. This one was from an interview with Charlie Sachs and former Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Obviously, Kinzinger served in the Air Force. He's very pro-military. He was a Republican. He does actually technically still call himself a Republican, though he has said that he will vote for the Democrats in the next election because anyone who has studied Kinzinger knows he is not pro-Trump in any, in any definition of those words. But he did fly in the Air Force. He initially flew... Uh, KC-135 straddle tankers, flew those in various places, South America, Guam, Iraq, Afghanistan, later switched to flying a surveillance aircraft, was stationed in Iraq twice, was a longtime member of Congress before he was redistricted out of a seat and decided not to run. He 
probably most certainly would not have been re-elected because the Republican base was angry at him. Now, I'm getting too in the weeds on his background. I know you guys know who he is. But the views that he's about to share in this interview are just, they are absolutely worth the listen because he makes a point that I have not heard anyone make. Now, again, this is on the Bulwark podcast with Charlie Sachs, who asked the question, and then you're going to hear a couple of minutes of the answer from Adam Kinzinger. And you guys let me know if you've heard this somewhere else. I haven't heard this anywhere else. And the point he makes is just, it's just mind-blowing. What should we be doing for them? Are we doing enough? Are we giving them what they need? And was it fast enough? And I guess I, you know, think back and I've heard, you know, both sides of this. And you got a lot of flack for talking about a no-fly zone. But it seems to me, and you tell me because this is in your wheelhouse, it seems naive to expect that a modern army can mount an offensive or a counteroffensive without air superiority. And there has been this tremendous reluctance to give them air power. What do you think? Right. So, Charlie, here's two things that annoy me. You know, these anonymous leaks from the Pentagon that have said that the Ukrainians are too casualty averse, right? Look, we left Afghanistan because we were losing, like, a guy a month. I don't mean to, like, denigrate that loss. That's very serious loss. But if you're going to say the Ukrainians are casualty averse because they're losing hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, charging a trench like in World War One and they don't have air power, we train them and combined arms, you know, maneuvers, which includes air power. We, we refuse to teach them about how to get through, you know, landmines because we haven't dealt with landmines in so long. Look, here's the deal. Every time, and these early conversations on the bulwark, I remember you'd, you'd have a few people even arguing with what you were saying when you were like, right. you got to give them this stuff. It's like, look, everything that at one point we said we have to give Ukraine, we ultimately end up giving it to them, and we end up giving it to them late. Imagine if at the very beginning, I think the Biden administration finally now understands that Russia's not going to nuke us. They're not going to use nukes. I think they understand that now. Imagine if we could go back a year and they were operating F-16s now. They had Abrams. They were using ATACMs. The military tries to play like we have a limited number of ATACMs. We do have a limited number of ATACMs. We also have a missile that is being produced to replace that. These things are going to be destroyed because they're getting old and we're scared to give them away. They need to step up and say, get this done. I've come around to believe that it's not really necessarily the Biden administration that's being slow on this. I think it's the Pentagon, but I think the Biden administration doesn't know how to push back on the Pentagon. The Pentagon are being counters. Their job is to make sure we have enough ammunition in every possible theater of war to win. I get it. Politicians have to come in and say, we're willing to take a risk. And the risk is we have a chance to defeat one of the greatest enemies of the United States without firing a shot from our own guns. And we're going to take that risk and do it. And that's where we're at right now. Wow. Not sure if that hits you guys as hard as it hit me, but several things in it really just... First of all, I hadn't heard it anymore anywhere else, so if it's been said somewhere else, you guys let me know. The longtime listeners know that one of the reasons guys like me were frustrated with the withdrawal from Afghanistan was that the military wasn't the one saying, we need to go. It was the politicians. Now, before everyone jumps on the attack Biden train... Let's be very 
honest and transparent here. President Trump wanted out even faster than President Biden did. The Unfortunately, the United States had lost the political will to stay in Afghanistan and support that struggling government with a very small amount of assistance. Now, bygones are bygones, but part of why I do this show is because so many Americans are so poorly informed about foreign policy. But regardless of whether President Biden did it or President Trump, who, oh, by the way, the vast majority of Trump supporters still prefer not interfering anywhere, and they prefer not supporting Ukraine. So this isn't a Biden or Trump thing. This is America completely took its eyes off the ball, and we abandoned Ukraine over very small casualties. And I have many military friends. Many of them had done multiple tours in Afghanistan. And I don't know how to say this nicely or politically correct, but most people who are serving, they want to be in the game. They want to be deployed if there is a hot spot going on. It is the natural thing for anyone who is a veteran to do. You run toward the sound of the guns. And so no one in the military was you know, we were taking some casualties there, but no one in the military was getting out because they had to go to Afghanistan. Most of the people who were getting out, was it was because the tempo had slowed down. And if you've ever served in the military, you know that a, being in the peacetime military in a barracks environment is about the most miserable thing a person can have to go through. I, in fact, had a buddy who used to give me a hard time. He was in the reserves. And he said, why did you ever get out? And then the war started happening. He goes, he did like three tours in Afghanistan. And eventually, the guy comes back and gets out after like two years of barracks life. And I said, see, buddy, now you know what, what it's like. I spent four years in the infantry for two days of serious danger. I had tra- tra- you trained to a certain level to do those kinds of things. It's like imagine doing basketball drills all the time to play a game. You want to play the game if a game needs to be played, but you don't want to do drills your entire life. You don't want to do nothing but practice all the time. So anyone who's in the military, they don't mind deploying. They don't mind serving our country when it's a an honorable and needed and good mission. No one wants to lose lives on something that's pointless, but I'm probably belaboring the point here. And I don't really want to replow the whole Afghanistan thing anyway because I get very heated very quickly. There's a lot of... Any veteran very quickly has strong feelings, and we don't want to go there, but Adam Kinzinger makes a great point about casualties and how the U.S. often does lose its political will. We did the same thing in Somalia back in the 90s. We did the same thing in Syria when President Trump was in power. We quickly withdrew. We were we were having very few casualties there, but we often sell out folks like the Kurds in Syria or our Afghan partners. We just often lose interest in whatever the mission is at that time. And so it's a little rich 
to hear Pentagon officials leaking out stuff about how good or not good the Ukrainians are doing in this offensive. And I thought I would share, actually, because there's been a lot of debate about this counteroffensive. How well are they doing? How well are they not doing? And I saw this on Twitter. Someone was talking about during Desert Storm. That was the mission where I think the U.S. lost just about a bit more than 100, 120, 150 troops in this massive war. We took down what was at the time, I think, the fourth largest military in the world of Saddam Hussein. But before we ever even went across, there was like three months of air attacks. And this person listed all because they served in it. And they put, just as a reminder, we had F-117s. Those are those stealth bombers. B-52s. Those are those massive bombers that carry tons and tons of bombs. F-111s. Most of you probably don't remember those. Those were called the Aardvarks. They're A-6s. That's a Navy plane that's uh, Corsair. It's no longer in service. B-1B bombers, F-15s, F-18s, F-16s, Warthogs, which are the A-10s. We still have those. Those are amazing. Uh, The Spectre gunships, AC-130s, the countless Apaches. Those are helicopters, Cobras, plus every Tomahawk and the 6th Fleet. And then the person says, and if that wasn't enough, we actually brought in a battleship to shell Iraqi positions around Basra. And so they're making the point that U.S. forces, the last time we confronted a dug-in enemy, we spent three months bombing the just every almost every inch of ground with lots of platforms. And then on top of that, someone else chimed in and reminded those who were, who were reading this thread that we also used fuel-air explosives dropped by fighters and bombers, mostly bombers, I should say, but fuel-air explosives, which they drop down, a lot of fuel goes out and then explodes to help clear minefields. This is technology that the Ukrainians don't even have capability of because they don't have air power right now. So just a good reminder that It's a little frustrating what we expect of our Ukrainian allies at this point because it's not even anything close to a similar situation for them. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber. For $5 per month, you can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. Again, you can help support the show for only $5 per month Come and go as you wish. You can find all the details on my Substack page. That's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or just find it in the episode notes. Thanks so much, guys. This is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these each week because I believe, quite strongly in fact, that we could all benefit from a pep talk and that we could all reap some profit by hearing deep insight and wisdom, all of which is lacking in our hurried, very shallow world, is it not? So here's the first one. Great affairs always start off being small. Again, great affairs always start off 
being small. That is just so, so deep. And I bet you're probably working on something or dreaming about something or maybe even doing something that is very small right now. And think about where it could end up. Great affairs always start off being small. I think about our own country's history. Just 13 loosely connected colonies that barely agreed to even work toward independence. And that is how America got its start. And now you fast forward 200 years and we're the greatest country in the world. That's certainly the most powerful. Great affairs always start off being small. So whatever you're working on, just remember you're not at your destination yet. Great affairs start off being small. The next one. This is apparently a quote from Japan. A Japanese citizen shared this and it kind of went viral. It is often said in Japan that a quote, a smart hawk hides his claws. A smart hawk hides his claws. This means that a more capable person speaks less. And this implies that a more incapable person speaks more. So capable people speak less. Less capable people speak more. Control your tongue. That is one of the big lessons taught throughout every religion. Certainly Christianity. Every philosophy. Our tongue gets us in a lot of trouble. So don't don't let your mouth lead you where you can't back it up. The next one is a quote from Seneca, a Roman a Roman philosopher, and it is luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. I'm betting you've probably heard that one, but it is just such a great one that I wanted to share it again. Again, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. It really is so interesting how we say people got lucky or he got lucky or she got lucky. And so often it's not luck because you can get that oppor- you can get that lucky break. But if you aren't ready, if you aren't prepared, if you aren't strong enough mentally, physically, emotionally, faithfully, if you aren't ready for it, that opportunity is not going to be anything good. It certainly won't be luck. It's going to be your downfall. It might be the highest peak you achieve in life if you let it break you. You you want to be ready when that luck happens. So again, the quote is, Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Next one. A calm mind makes a wiser decision. Again, a calm mind makes a wiser decision. Next one. One small first step can change your life forever. Again, one small first step can change your life forever. That one kind of goes along with what we've already said. Next one. Set some goals. Stay quiet about them. Succeed in silence. Again, set some goals. Stay quiet about them. 
succeed in silence. And that goes against almost everything that is the world or the West or certainly America in 2023. Everyone is so quick to brag about, I'm going to do this diet. I'm going to start this. And they talk and they brag and they post and they share and they share and they post and they talk. And they don't always follow through, do they? And often, and I say this as someone who has launched a business, I've done some, you know, pretty crazy things. It was crazy to start a business at 27. I was very risky. Lots of people will talk you out of things in life. And you guys know this. Sometimes when a new idea is being birthed, when it is just hatched, so to speak, or coming out of the shell, the last thing you want is to start talking about this goal or vision that you have that isn't fully developed because that is the easiest time to kill it. Even well-meaning friends or family or spouses, people who, who don't even mean to hurt you, can absolutely crush your spirit. And I will say, with the newspaper that I ran, about a year in, I relaunched completely redid the website and it was pretty good definitely better than what was there to begin with and I, I talked to three close friends I'll never forget and the first and I was so proud of this website it cost a little bit a decent amount for what I had available and the first two were like they really looked it over and, and with good intentions they told me things that were wrong with it and oh you need to do this and could you do that or oh I like this but what if you could do this and so they provided what they thought were great feedback and suggestions and they were I couldn't disagree with any of them but at the same time it was just unbelievably kind of crushing but the third person the third person looks at the same website and says Wow, what a great start. It is so much better than the last one. And I'm sure there are things you have in mind that you want to do to fix it even better. But I am just so proud of how 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 far you've come, how good that website looks, how you even made it a year with this business. It's just really inspiring. And I'll never forget, a lot of times I think we, because some people won't be honest, we all are almost too honest with our friends, but... I assure you that third person is the one that helped me the best because when someone has poured their soul into something, it's very easy to pick it apart. You want to be the one who finds the positive, who encourages, who helps lift up your friends and family members. You want to be that person. You don't want to be the one. I guarantee you, I mean, I knew the mistakes of the website and I guarantee you whoever you're mentioning that thing to, they probably know the shortcomings and the shortfalls. So you don't need to mention them. Try to encourage them. That's that's the better tact. As Benjamin Franklin said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain. And most fools do. That's a pretty famous quote you've probably heard before, but it's so true. And I'll just add one final thing that the speaker of this quote is unknown, but it's a fairly famous saying as well. But it says, a friend is one who overlooks your broken fence and admires the flowers in your garden. And that is just so beautiful, is it not? Again, a friend is one who overlooks your broken fence and admires the flowers in your garden.
we all have things at our house that aren't perfect that we, you know, on their to-do list that has been bugging us. And every time we walk by it, we feel a little bit of shame that we haven't gotten to it yet. And so the last thing you need is someone to say, hey, how have you looked at fixing this? Or, you know, you can fix that for or so-and-so can. Or it's only cost this much if you go down to Home Depot. That's just not the way to be. I just, I love that quote. And so I hope, hope all of that helped a bit. I think that's, um, I don't know. I ran a little long on it, but I wanted to. All right, let's move to the next one. The next one is this. This is about you. You are art. You are music. You are light. You are rare. You are needed. It's a good one. We're all unique. And sometimes we try to conform and to change ourselves into being like those around us. And that's not what is needed. What is needed is you. You at your fullest potential. You at your greatest effort or ability. That's what's needed. Here's the next one. You will face your greatest opposition when you are closest to your biggest miracle. Again, you will face your greatest opposition when you are closest to your biggest miracle. Let's do two more. Here's the next one. A goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. Man, that's a good one. A goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. Such a good one. Next one. When you speak, always speak with strong confidence. Watch the difference it makes. Again, when you speak, always speak with strong confidence. Watch the difference it makes. I think that's something that we all forget. We all we all can see examples of someone who will say something and then say, I think, like, I'll read the same sentence and do it differently. When you speak, always speak with strong confidence, I think. What's the difference it makes? I believe. I think. I'm pretty sure. No, don't add, don't add those little sentences at the end. When you speak, always speak with strong confidence. Watch the difference it makes. Let's do three from the Bible. They're short ones. First two are short ones. Here is the first one from Psalms 36, verse 9. With you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Again, that one is, with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. That's a good one. Next one. As members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Again, as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. That's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Here's the final one. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read it one more time. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a good one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. So many men and women have sacrificed, fought, and died to keep this country together the past 240 years. Please work daily to unite our country again. The vast majority of Americans are decent, loving, great people. Also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. For those who are listening for the first time, let me say a bit more about myself and the podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 12 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think that much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians, seeking their own personal gain, try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So let's get a little better informed and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about. And I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in. That it affects what they believe. That it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as kindness, patience and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience and for listening. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool message that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid to something we can build a foundation from, and that's what I'm offering. Now, we're almost to the end of the show, and I'd be a fool not to mention my books. 
I write fast-paced books, and when I say fast-paced, I mean like really fast-paced books. And if you read the reviews, people say they are gripping, compelling, and full of twists and turns. I've written a dozen books to date, and I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies. And guys, these are independently published. There isn't some big company pushing these. These are straight up word of mouth sales. So if you're one of those who've bought a book or more than one book, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you're one of those folks who've just shared links or told others about me, it's a great way to support the show. All of my books can be found on Amazon and they are primarily about military thrillers. I've got a series about a Marine Corps sniper. I've got some police detective ones, but you can find all of them on Amazon just by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R. You will find them no problem. You will see they all have averages of more than four, uh, four plus stars and thousands of reviews on them. So they're great gifts. They're also great for yourself if you're interested in them. So thanks so much guys for sticking it out with me. I hope you got something from the show and I look forward to seeing you guys here same time, same place next Thursday.